funniest player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers them for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious or not. We deserve this win, man. Fox Sports 5 flying high in Motown. Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate. And just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, Sacramento Kings select Tyrese Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, about a decade and a half, and then being the first team to actually get to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento. Like that's that's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Bryant West on here as we usually do. What's going on, Bryant? How you doing, man? I'm doing uh, great now that I've had a day to recover from my uh, wonderful Wyoming vacation that uh, got delayed on both ends by uh, the city of Denver deciding that uh, it definitely didn't want me to get anywhere on time. (laughs) So if anybody's going to take trips this summer, just remember that uh, airplanes can suck. I forgot that in, in the midst of no vacations for uh, a year and a half. Yeah. At very least, things are back open, comfortable traveling somewhat, you know? Yeah. Highly recommend uh, Wyoming if uh, if anybody has any reason to go there. Uh, one of the more beautiful states I've ever been to. Yeah, I can't say that one's been on the list, but I might have to add it, eventually get it, there. It was not on my list, but a family uh, wedding took me there and uh, boy I'm glad I did uh, it has less people in the entire state than uh, I think the city of Sacramento has wow don't quote me on that but it's close it's like yeah. 600,000 people uh, and it's all just farmland but that means it's very very beautiful so yeah all right enough of that let's get you know to- what else is very beautiful Brian <laughs> Uh, the Bucks Suns finals that we uh, totally forgot was starting this uh, evening when we said hey let's do a prospect profiles today yeah and we're recording in the middle of this finals game I haven't even turned on the beginning of it yet I'm probably gonna start it super late and do my best to stay off Twitter meaning I'll get get it spoiled in the middle of the third quarter and be pissed off when I find out what happened but uh (laughs) yeah that's where we're at right now um we're profiling two guys today that are big men in the upcoming draft here. Um, I, I think we're reaching a range where there's not going to be very many guys. I think there's actually only one or two left that I feel like we haven't covered that would be in real consideration for the Kings at nine that aren't part of that consensus top six. Um, and yeah, I think we're kind of reaching a range where we really get to contextualize the idea of uh, trading down. The popular one is 16 and 18, even though I think that's a far way down, but two of these big men um that in my opinion are not going to be consideration for pick nine, um, but probably later first round picks, but we'll dive into them. Let's start the two. We're going over Usman Garuba uh, played for Real Madrid. And then Isaiah Jackson played for Kentucky last year. Let's start with Garuba Um, basics of him. He is six, eight, and I have a seven, three wingspan. Um, There's a couple different stat lines that you can take because he played in the Euro league. Um, which is kind of a tournament style that goes over in Europe, and then the Liga ACB, which is the league in Spain. Um, but we'll throw out his most recent Euro League stats, which I think is some of the best competition 
Um, and yeah. that is, um, you know, he's only playing 16 and a half minutes a game. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, averaging four points, 4.1 rebounds, 0.8 assists, 0.7 blocks, 0.6 steals. Um, and during these 38 games, 50% from the field, 27.5% from three and 59.5% from the free throw line. First, Bryant, contextualize those stats for me because they don't sound impressive. It doesn't sound like a guy that you're considering in the first round typically. No, if you just look at the stat line, he doesn't seem like he would be a first-round prospect. But, I mean, that's pretty uh, normal for uh, young dudes coming out of the EuroLeague. Like, Luka Doncic was a, uh, a prodigy for a bajillion different reasons, one of them being that he was the best player in the EuroLeague and they couldn't keep him on the bench, unlike most dudes that come into the NBA um, from that league. Uh, I can confidently say that he's one of the best defensive prospects in this class, and he did so playing in the second-best league in the world. Um, so while those stats don't look great on the surface, I mean, you just have to watch uh, a couple of his games to see why people really want him in the first round. Um, he's a legit cover who can handle ones through fives on defense. Um, he's strong as a tank with truly elite no hyperbole there. He's truly elite defensive footwork, quickness, twitchiness. Uh, he can flip his hips on a dime. He just swallows up dudes, keeps his hands up, plays with as much physicality as you could ask for in any player. Um, like his processing speed on defense is absolutely crazy. And uh, if he's going to go in the first, you know, I, I think he's a top 20 prospect in this class because of what he can do on defense. Um, Sam Vecini said on his pod a while ago that uh, – Garuba's defensive ability and instincts are one of the more truly elite skills in this class. Uh, and that makes him a pretty interesting prospect for uh, the worst defense, one of the worst defenses in NBA history, doesn't it? It definitely does. And, you know, I, I think that when you're talking about, you know, being the youngest starter in Real Madrid history because mm -hmm. of this um, defensive capabilities that he has and the positive impact that he has on that end of the floor in the Euro League. Like I've been watching a lot of Shingun. I think that's going to be my next profile here since he's really popular in Sacramento um, among the fan base and I'm pretty low on him. So I'm trying to get a really good grasp on him. Um, and, you know, everybody's talking about the Turkish League is the third best league behind the Euro League and the NBA, obviously. Yeah. And it is a big gap between the Euro yeah. League and the Turkish League. Like I, I was actually surprised watching a lot of these Euro League games. I'm like, man, this is really high level basketball. Like, Garuba was often getting attacked on switches and really holding his own against high-level guards. You saw him pick the pocket of Shane Larkin in clutch minutes. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes there's a little bit too much, but everybody's going to make mistakes here and there. But I think it's rare with Garuba compared to plenty of these other prospects, certainly compared to Isaiah Jackson that we'll get into. Um, but, I, I mean, when you think of a big man, like one of the key things when you're talking about a defensive big is defending the pick and roll. Mm -hmm. and I can't tell you how impressive it was. Like you, you mentioned him flipping his hips on a dime. I, I think that I was shocked a couple times with how quick he was able to turn his hips, um, which is extremely important. He's got good, but not, I wouldn't say great lateral quickness. I, I think it's, it's good paired with that seven, three wingspan that does give me a lot of confidence on him in a switching scheme. Um, and Really, I mean, there was a lot of there was that switching, but then there was also drop coverage and mm -hmm. the way that he managed a drop 
was so impressive to me. You know, this whole like big men get caught in no man's land, right? Where they're not really slowing down the guard and they're not taking away the pass to the lob threat. He was constantly what seemed like in both spots. It, it reminded yeah. me of Inyeka Kongwu last year when it came to that. You know, his hands were always very active mm-hmm. and it felt like he was slowing down the guard while waiting for his guard defender to recover while also taking away that pass threat and just making both of those offensive players have to think and take an extra step um, and slow them down. And I, I just thought that he navigated the pick and roll in multiple ways, but specifically dropped so impressively. Yeah, I completely agree with all of that. Um, he may not be the most insanely uh, athletic leaper, but I got to say his physical tools across the board are just excellent. He's got a great combination of size, strength, length, open court speed, quick, quick twitch ability, uh, fluidity, all backed up by a very high motor and physicality. Uh, I think there's zero chance that he busts on the defensive end. Uh, like you said, he's really got insane timing for uh, when guards are in front of him, great awareness of what guys are going to try to do. Um, he's a real ball hawk. Isn't a dude who's just going to sell himself out to get a, a block or a steal. Um, but he's as determined a player on defense as I've ever scouted. He goes full tilt all the time. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that comes with a lot of these high motor defenders, and Lord knows you and I have both fallen for a lot of them over the last couple of years. Those high motor dudes are often, you know, gambling and making mistakes by just having such a high motor. And I mean, that's just not who he is most of the time. Uh, Like you said, it's just, you can't truly visualize how a six, eight dude is so well handling uh, switching onto a guard until you watch it. It's just crazy. Yeah, and I think if you have to pick a weakness for him on defense, which is kind of hard to find, it's just that he's 6'8", right? And and I think that, you know, is there any question to you revolving around, like, can he be your five on defense as a primary rim protector? You know, his positional question mark is a bit uh, of a a concern if you got to contextualize what he's going to be on both ends of the court. Um, while he can pretty much do whatever his future team wants to do on defense, um, like he didn't play the five at Real Madrid. Their best yeah. player is a 7-3 Walter Tavares. Uh, and if a team decides that they need to make him a full-time center because of his offensive limitations that we'll talk about in a bit, like if he's a full-time center, he does lose some value. Like 6-8 and a 7-2 wingspan is all well and good, but he may not be a primary rim protector at the next level. Um, he would be best for a team that is dedicated to and can fully switch. Um, and we all know your thoughts on Sacramento trying to be a, a switch heavy team. Um, like if the Kings want to primarily switch all the time, they need to find more than just Garuba on defense to make it all work. Um, because in my head, like he's going to primarily just uh, be a four or five guard who can switch as needed, but like as much versatility as that offers on defense, like it does come with a clear um, weakness if you're going to ask him to be the full time five. Because as strong as he is, like we all know, Rashawn Holmes's defensive value is very high for the Kings, but like he's six eight. <laughs> we all know what it's like to be playing with an undersized center. Yeah. 
And I think that, you know, if you're talking about like banging down low with some of the Joel Embiid's, I guess, Jonas Valanciunas, maybe DeAndre Ayton type guys, I think that, you know, some of those guys are just going to be problems for most people in the league. And you just get a second string center that's a really big guy that can handle the rare opponent that you're playing that's actually posting up often throughout the game. Um, and, and I think Garuba does it like in fine stretches, you know, I I'm with you. I, I don't have concerns with him on the defensive end. Like if you decide for him to be a four, he defends fours just fine. You know, he moves well laterally, laterally, as we've said, um, combined with the seven, three wingspan that he has, he rotates well. Um, I can't tell you how much I like rim protection. And, you know, I, I think that people talk about size as something that is more valuable for a lot of defensive prospects, but I think we've also seen, some of the seven foot plus big men really struggle to guard the perimeter. And I think that, you know, we're going to see it more common throughout the league that the best defender is regarded as one of these six, eight, six, nine sort of guys that can truly mm-hmm. defend, you know, two to five, one to five, maybe. Um, and, and I think Aruba really falls into that, you know, a guy with little weaknesses, um, even if, you know, there is some aspects that maybe aren't as elite as others. I still wouldn't call any of them weaknesses when it comes to the defensive end of the floor. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, playing as a 19-year-old in a grown man league, like you can't praise his defense high enough. Uh, and like you said, he was the youngest starter in Real Madrid history for a reason. He's been in this program, an elite program, Luka Doncic's old program. Uh, he's been with that team for three years. Um, and I mean, that says something right there. Um, you know, he was sixth on the team in minutes per game. So I'm not sure that he's got like that defensive culture setter upside like Scotty Barnes does. Um, I'm not going to say it's completely, uh, implausible that he comes in and just completely shifts whatever team he go ends up with on defense. Um, but in my opinion, he's certainly better on defense than Scotty Barnes is right now. Um, I, I would say he's probably the second best defensive prospect in this draft. I might still have Evan Mobley higher because, uh, you know, Evan Mobley may not be quite as uh, defensively elite in terms of um, switchability. I mean, that feels weird to say because Evan Mobley is an insanely switchable defender, but Garuba is, is really high up there. But it, it, you just cannot undersell how – uh, awesome Garuba is on defense and how much he's going to unlock for his future team on that end of the court. Uh, and he does so well, you know, being a pretty decent rebounder too. Like 6'8 isn't insane for a rebounder, but 7'2 wingspan, plenty of hop, uh, and he's just as physical uh, out on the boards as he is on defense. So he he's definitely going to uh, be a very plus uh, addition to a future team and Definitely can see why uh, he's going to be really high for me on my Sacramento big board. Yeah. And you know, that rebounding, a lot of it comes down to hustle and willing to be physical, like, like you've mentioned. And I think that those are going to be primary aspects of his offensive game as well. That is definitely more limited. Um, but let's start with his three point shot, you know, in, in the Liga ACB, he shot uh, two threes a game on 33% from deep. And then in the Euro league, um, which is only two more games here, 36 games compared to 38. In the EuroLeague, he shot 1.13 a game on 27.5% from three. Um, he didn't shoot a three in 16 of those 38 EuroLeague games. Um, 
how, how do you feel about him potentially spacing the floor? Do you think that that's something that would be a concern? I mean, specifically when you're talking about the Kings, ideally you want the space floor as much as possible or the floor spaced as much as possible, excuse me, for idealizing De'Aaron Fox's elite driving. Yeah, he was pretty much used in two different ways on offense. Uh, one was as a corner three-point shooter, like you were talking about. Uh, 1.1 attempts per game in the EuroLeague. Um, 48 of his 117 field goal attempts in EuroLeague this season were threes. Uh, so he clearly knows that's his swing skill. Like, if, if, if he's going to provide value, immediately it's going to be as a dude that guys don't cover, and he kind of surprises people with a three-point stroke. Um, but he needs to be able to hit that to provide real offensive value. Um, and uh, I can't sit here and say that I truly trust his shot. Uh, like I like that he's confident. You and I have talked many, many times about even dudes who are uh, slightly below average three-point shooters, uh, higher volume gives them some avenue for offensive success. Um, that's not going to be something he does immediately. I bet that at least his rookie year, he's going to be the dude that guys just leave. Um, and Lord knows Kings can't use any of those. Um, but he, he just has to become offensively average to provide just insane value for wherever in the lottery slash teams that he ends up getting picked at. Um, so really comes down to him figuring out something uh, because right now he's a relative unknown on offense. Um, a ton of baskets that I watched, a ton of his scoring opportunities came off of hustle or broken plays. Uh, and aside from the corner three-point shot, he was pretty much only used in the dunker spot, um, which provides some value for him, but uh, not insane value. And uh, he definitely is a lot more raw on offense. His defensive instincts do not translate to that end of the court. Um, there are quite a few times... Uh, even in the 24.12 rebound game that he had in his second to last game of the season, uh, he had 24 points, but I would say only a handful of those buckets were like truly impressive uh, scoring opportunities. The rest of them were just garbage plays and, and hustle steals and transition dunks. And even on some of the transition plays, you could see his handle isn't that developed. Uh, he really just doesn't know what to do with the ball in his hands a lot of the time. So, he is uh, a complete unknown to me on offense, um, but one who only needs to figure out a couple of roles to just justify being on the court and uh, provide, like we were talking about, real value on defensive end. So it's not a high bar, but it's one I can't promise that he makes. Yeah, very unknown and very risky when it comes to the offensive end of the floor. And I think as much as I dislike it, it's more valuable, at least aside from centers, when a prospect is uh, really impressive on the offensive end of the floor and has defensive major question marks. Um, but there's definitely a spot for the guys like this in the league. You just have to carve out a role somewhat yeah. on offense. Um, I do want to say before we move on, he's a pretty decent passer. Um yeah. He apparently started doing more dribble drives and transition handling plays late in the season. Uh, and so his passing clearly improved towards the end of the year. Um, 1.7 assists per 36 minutes isn't crazy. But given his absurdly low usage rate, he does have a collection of good passes. Um, he's not an initiator whatsoever, full stop. 
but he could be an all right connector on offense. Um, he's clearly aware of where his teammates are and should be when he's on the move and catches a pass. I think those were clearly his his most impressive assists when he gets the pass and he already knows where an open dude is going to be. Um, so, you know, that's going to be some value at the next level. Um, not one I think he can fully take advantage of until his handling improves uh, and dudes aren't just diving at him to try to snag it from his handle before he makes the pass. But, uh, you know, it, it, any offensive value is a good one. And uh, like you talked about, get as many good passers as you can get, even on an offense as uh, solid as the Kings Foundation. Yeah, I think passing out of the short roll is really valuable as well as those, um, you know, getting your own board and dribbling a couple times in transition. And I think there were flashes in a short roll for Garuba. I also thought that in the pick and roll, um, which he didn't run a crazy amount, I thought his timing on the rolls were really mm-hmm. good. He wasn't just sprinting at the rim full steam. He kind of stayed in the right um, pocket so that way a pass could get to him and coordinating with the guard and and there was some guards on this real madrid team where i was like is this guy going to be a prospect in a few years because these passes (laughs) are crazy um but it's just that yeah i mean there's just like european craftiness that's just so fun to watch um but i think there is potential on there probably that sounds about right um and yeah i think that there is potential as a role man in the league um it's just you know and if you're talking in the context of sacramento um especially if Rashawn Holmes is retained, which I think is the hope. Um, Not sure that you can really run a pick and a roll with Garuba when Holmes is out there as well. Yeah, there is a true positional question mark when it comes to him on offense. Um, While he can pretty much do whatever his future team wants on defense, like his limited offensive skill set is going to keep him either at the dunker spot, whether he's a four or a five. Um, So, I mean, it would be Everything on offense is complicated by that fact. Um, and it's going to be a true question mark whether whatever he can add to his offensive game, whether it makes him truly versatile enough that he can just be this kind of free-ranging, do whatever the team needs me to do on defense when he's clearly so positionally locked. Like there's a reason that people have a 6'8 dude locked at center. Um, it's because yeah. his best offensive value is being that garbage uh offensive rebound uh dunker spot dude right now so yeah i i don't know that i don't know that anything that the kings do in um in this draft changes the fact that i think they should keep rashawn holmes um i don't love the long-term fit of usman garubo and rashawn holmes just because one of those dudes has to be an all right uh shooter or this team is just too crowded but I mean, it's not going to change where I have Garuba on my board because I worry about him with Holmes in the long term. Yeah, and I can't tell you how much I would enjoy Holmes Garuba as the five rotation. I know you oh, don't yeah. pick pick your take pick nine as a backup center, um, but yeah, I mean, it would just be such an improvement from what we're talking about before. You know, I, I think a guy that is a connector like this on the defensive end and such a playmaker there is just so important. Um, I, I will say, I don't think he's a guy that I view as elite cleaning up after his teammates mistakes. I, I think mm-hmm. he's good in that aspect, but I don't think that's the type of player. I think he's more of like a holds his own at a very high level. Yeah, I completely agree. He is not a full time, uh, rim protecting center. 
he is a forward who can be a very, very good help side rim protector uh, in broken plays. But I don't want people to think that he's just going to be coming into league and sitting next to Joel Embiid in the paint full time and uh, cleaning up the glass because uh, that's just not his game. He's not tall enough. Before and, we... and that and that kind of limits, uh, like it takes away his best skill on defense, which I think is true defensive versatility and switchability. Yeah. Talk to me before we move on about his ceiling and floor, because I think it's particularly interesting with Garuba. And the swing's the offense, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the swing is the entire offense. That's very true. Um, But on a more, you know, singular level, like his swing skill is his shooting. Um, If he suddenly becomes a three-point shooter that you cannot just leave open, um, then I think it's going to be pretty damn hard to take him off the floor. Um, But until that point comes around, like even a dude as elite defensively as he is, like the league will always find roster spots for the Alperin Sengun's of this league, even if he, even if Sengun hits his lower outcome, just because uh, a dude who can produce on offense, it's just always going to find minutes. Um, if Garuba's shot doesn't come around and he doesn't suddenly become this elite um, rim, uh, rim runner or vertical spacer, like he may be bounced out of the league, yeah. um, which is weird to say. Like he's he's even more raw offensively than like Tony Allen. Um, so uh, it it's a it's a real question mark. I think his ceiling, if he becomes a respectable three point shooter, like he's got top six talent in this league. I mean, top six talent in this draft. Um, and, and it would be impossible to keep him off the court if he's making his shots, if he's figuring out ways to get to the rim, uh, if his handle improves whatsoever. Like, he's only 19. It's not crazy to me that he could come in and, uh, and produce in a couple of years. Um, but... It, it's going to take a real solid developmental system. It's going to take real patience. And it's going to take a team that truly understands and is dedicated to a defensive first versatile player who offers zero for sure offensive skills. Totally. Um, you know, New York needs shooting, but he does scream Thibodeau to me. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially 1921. Uh, mm-hmm. um, especially if. Uh, if New York uh, says goodbye to any of their center rotation, uh, I know they're all free agents over the next few years. Yeah, but I think uh, late teens, early 20s is probably where I would guess Garuba goes. Maybe it's earlier. You know, like he's a guy that I think some team could fall in love with earlier, like 15 Washington, even, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, probably not 14 Golden State with the Wiseman situation. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, even... 12 San Antonio, maybe like if 11 Charlotte needs a center, if they happen to fall in love with him, like maybe, you know, but I I would guess late teens is probably where I'm going to be about with Garuba. Yeah. I'm not going to take him nine if I'm Sacramento, but if Monty McNair decides uh, that he's going to disagree with you and I and trade down, Garuba is going to be one of those dudes that I'm suddenly crossing my fingers for. Yeah. And uh, any other bits on Gru before we move on to Isaiah Jackson? No, I just got to say, uh, anybody who enjoys defense, really just go watch him. He, he is a joy to watch with how he plays the game. Absolutely. 
And so, yeah, sorry. no, you're good. Let's, let's get into uh, Isaiah Jackson um, from Kentucky. Uh, in some ways, he's uh, kind of similar in uh, in how he was used, but he's a lot taller, much more trend traditional rim protector. Um, let's see, over 25 games, he had 18 starts, 8.4 points per game, 6.6 rebounds, 2.6 blocks, 0.7 assists, 0.8 steals, 1.5 turnovers, three fouls uh, per game, 54% from the field, 70% from the free throw line, and no threes made for two attempts. Um, so let's just start with the obvious. What is his NBA skill, and why would he get drafted uh, in the lottery or late teens? It's elite shot blocking. 2.6 blocks per game. Um, He has the most blocks per 36 minutes of guys likely to be drafted. Mm -hmm. Um, Evan Mobley, 3.1. Isaiah Jackson, 4.5. And Mobley, obviously regarded as an elite rim protector for good reason. I think Isaiah Jackson just has... He reminds me of DeAndre Jordan on that end. Um, I, I think his timing is really good. I think he gets off the floor very quickly. I, I think he blocks shots with both hands, which is always impressive to see. I think he's fairly coordinated when it comes to that. Um, you know, you talk, I, I feel bad saying this almost. It's like it should be banned from this podcast or something, but he's got a really good second jump. Um, (laughs) um, and you know, I, I mean the amount of blocks that he was getting up per game opponent shot 33% at the rim, which is ridiculous. 83rd percentile. Um, he blocked more jumpers than any prospect I've seen this year. And it's rare to see jumpers blocked almost like a Mitch Robinson esque, um, trying to think who else you see do it. Robert Williams, which was a cop comp that Mike Schmitz threw out that I really like for Isaiah Jackson. Uh But yeah. length paired with really good timing and good hands led to a whole lot of blocks for Isaiah Jackson. Like I think when you're talking about a guy to to clean up after um, guards and, and penetration and just sit at the rim and clean up plays, Isaiah Jackson is ideally the ideal version of him is that guy. Yeah, uh, 12.7% block rate is just absolutely bonkers. Um, and uh, pretty good rebound numbers too. 12.7 rebounds per 40 minutes, uh, 11.2% offensive rebound rate, 23.3% defensive rebound rate. So, like, he fills the need for a traditional uh, big man rim protector rebounder. Um, I can't say that I think he's got the greatest timing in the world, but, like, his tools make up for it in such a big way. Um, and if he ever gets down to lessening his fouls per game, like, yes, his, 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 his role in the NBA is incredibly clear. Um, my question to you is, is he going to be a five at the next level? Because he definitely seems to think he's a four. I think that he's definitely a five. Um, I, I don't see a journey to him being a four on the offensive end. And on defense, while I think that he was good enough switching, I, I don't think that he's a, a player that you're – throwing in a heavy switch scheme. Um, I think primarily you're going with a drop coverage and just trying to keep them in the paint as often as you can. Um, So, yeah, I mean, like defensively, he's definitely most well used as a five. Um, And I I think offensively that I'll get to, like, I just don't see any world where he's a four. So to me, yeah, I do think it's a five. And I want to touch on the fouls that you mentioned. 
um, because this is where the concern lies. You know, he he easily was a top shot blocker this year, but he kind of has a case that a lot of shot blockers do where he's trying to block everything rather than mm-hmm. just kind of fundamentally being up and down and in the right spot sometimes. You know, they get um, bigs like this tend to get a little jumpy sometimes. And I think this is just the raw aspect of them that, you know, more often than not, I do feel like kind of does get worked out a little bit in the NBA. Um, and that's probably a bit of a swing skill, but I do feel like that's something where typically there is progress made. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, when you're just trying to guard DeMar DeRozan in space and he throws 40 pump fakes at you and you send him to the line 12 times in a game, then you're going to slowly learn over time, mm-hmm. you know, but I think it's going to be something like that where it's really rough his first year when his primary skill is rim protection. I think that, um, you know, these high level guards that are manipulative are really going to be able to take advantage of him because he's very jumpy and looking for the highlight play a little bit more often than he probably should. But I think that's something that is just part of him being a raw prospect that is going to take time to be worked out. And if you're buying his upside on the defensive end, then you're, um, I mean, I think the idea is that you'd be willing to be patient for him to come around there. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, My concern is he didn't participate in the combine measurements, so we don't have an updated weight. Which was Um, so weird. Like He feels like a guy that would benefit from that. Yeah, there's always these weird agent games where like one dude is like, I'm not going to participate, where it's like, like Isaiah, your your greatest strengths are your physical tools. What what are you getting holding back the measurements at the combine? Um, he was reportedly just two hundred and six pounds uh, at Kentucky. Um, so if he is going to be a full time center, like I I think his best blocks came from dudes coming at him uh, at space in space. Yeah. I, it, it's definitely, he definitely had many less blocks in traditional, all right, this dude trying to back him up. Um, and so I do worry that a skinny guy like that is going to be, it's the same thing with Kai Jones. Kai Jones is an incredible uh, transition shot blocker. Isaiah Jackson is better than him in transition. Neither of them are dudes who are traditional, like, I'm going to guard this center right now at least right now and we know big men take three four years before they're in the league uh it's a real slow process both as a from physical and a skill standpoint but uh that's my main concern with like his traditional he's going to be a center dude um but then we just talked about usman gruba one of the most switchable uh better space defenders we've watched in recent years how is jackson's defense in space i think that he uses that 7-4 wingspan, um, good enough. Like, I, I think, you know, when it comes to a late shot clock situation, end of game situation, and the coach decides, you know, on this out-of-balance play, we're going to switch everything and, and live with what happens, I, I think you're fine with doing that with Jackson. Um, but I don't think it's something you do the entire game because I, I mm-hmm. think it kind of just takes away his best skill. While I think he's capable at it, um, I, I don't think that it's the preferred defensive uh, way to idealize Isaiah Jackson, where you really just want him around the rim to be able to be protecting shots. You know, I think that yeah. was some of the frustration I had with the switch everything with Holmes this year. It's like, this is your one rim protector and you keep pulling him out to the perimeter because you're switching. And I think yeah. that that would be my same concern with Jackson. So I think he's capable in it, but I think it kind of defeats the whole purpose of him on the defensive end of the floor. Yeah, I agree with that. I also don't think he's anything close to like 
uh, Evan Mobley when it comes to space no. defense. Um, I would honestly worry about him switching the first couple of years. Uh, I think I like Kai Jones's switchability on defense a lot better. Yeah, I do too. Um, but, you know, Isaiah Jackson is a dude who has a clear defensive role um, and uh, one that's pretty valuable. Yeah, and if he can work out, you know, being an elite rim protector, like it's very valuable in this league. You know, I, yeah. I think you're seeing the the hype that Robert Williams is getting. I think before Mitch Robinson had to deal with a lot of injuries, he was getting very hyped up. Uh, Miles Turner, you know, who does space the floor on offense as well, um, but primarily <laughs> is a rim protector. Um, My, Miles Turner is your Mikael Bridges. It's true. It's true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think there's clearly a value for elite shot blockers and rim protectors. Um, it, it's just. Uh, or we'll get to it. Let's talk about his offense real quick, and then I'll talk about why I'm hesitant with just centers in general. Um, his offense, you know, okay, so you threw a comp at me when we were kind of joking around earlier because this is a Kentucky guy, <laughs> a skinny Kentucky guy. <laughs> I feel you. bad for this. I felt bad for this because I was literally just sitting here like looking at his synergy profile. I'm like, well, you know, the lesson that we've learned from Kentucky dudes in the last decade is that is that so many of them improve in ways that you just couldn't guess from looking at their Kentucky uh, role plays because like Kentucky is very much known for sticking guys in shoe size and shoebox sized skill sets. Um, And when I was trying to just think to myself, well, who has he been used like, Oh, it's so obvious. He's he's nearly identical to Willie Stein's stat sheet uh, synergy stat sheet in college um it's not a player comparison because isaiah jackson's motor is non-stop and he's a true physical player um but again it gives an idea of how kentucky keeps getting these guys and saying all right here's your role in calipari's offense let's just do it um and uh yeah tell, tell me about uh what he did best on offense yeah, I don't know how you're the role man nine times all year. Oh, my God. That's insane. It just kills me. I had to look it up because when I saw that, it just boggled my mind. He had nine pick-and-roll attempts this year. Uh, and since I had Willie's open, I looked. He had seven in his draft year. Yeah. Willie, asked, Willie was used in a pick-and-roll big man on 34.8% of his offense this year for at Dallas. Yeah. Like, how does John Calipari not notice this? Yeah, so. I think um, transition, both of those players are great, right? I, I think uh, Jackson has has good hands to him, which I think is really important for a big man. And he runs the floor really well. I, I think that with some physicality, he may get bumped off his spot a bit, but I think he was impressively fluid um, and functional with both hands, e- even though I don't think he's a good finisher, a great finisher with his left or anything, but I do think he has confidence in, in using that hand, which is important. Um so yeah, I think he's going to be good in transition. I hope that he will be a good pick and roll man. And I think there's potential there for a lob threat again. Like I kind of come back to Deandre Jordan, which it, the difference is like the strength of those guys, which is a major difference. But I kind of think the role you're talking about is a guy that just catches lobs like this mm-hmm. um, and, and runs quicker in transition than, than Deandre Jordan did. Um, I, I don't think there's anything to like, off the dribble. Uh, I don't think there's any reason to have like 
faith in his shooting. Like, I guess if you want to say 70% from the free throw line, um, but he was 0 of 9 on catch and shoot attempts this year. Um, only shot 21% on all jumpers that he did shoot this year, which is only 19 of them. Um, like uh, you were joking about this a little bit, like Mike Schmitz was showing flashes of him, like shooting off the dribble. And I, I just, he only <laughs> shot off the dribble nine times all year. Yeah. Um, I, lo- I love Mike Schmitz. Uh, he deserves everything that he has uh, earned. My God, that com- the, the entire profile he was doing was like, well, let's talk about uh, your pick and roll offense, which he never did in college. Let's talk about your shooting, which he never did on offense. Um, let's talk about your floater. He was one of five on floaters. <laughs> like, okay. And I think that's kind of what's interesting about Isaiah Jackson, right? Is that you have this really raw defensive potential as a cleanup rim protector, and then you kind of don't know what you have on offense. Like, I, I think the idea mm-hmm. is that he, you, you do feel good that he's going to be promising in transition. He's going to hustle, right? Um, but is he going to be viable in a pick and roll? I think part of him being so raw and kind of having poor footwork and um, not as great hips on the defensive end, I think you feel it a little bit on offense. Like he just called for a lot of moving screens, which I think is just part of being a really raw prospect um, and also not running the pick and roll that much. Probably would have been able to work that out a little bit. Um, but it's just like little tiny fundamental aspects like that, that I think are going to be really frustrating for him at first, but it, it's just about ironing those things out. I, I think of, you know, they're very different players, but like Jalen Brown was extremely raw and reliant on athleticism when he came into the league and was able to work out so many fundamentals and nuances in the game. And I think that it's just going to be the same thing for Jackson. It's going to take a good amount of time and hopefully the rim protection comes around earlier than some of these other skills. Um, but I, I think that it's a position where you have to be definitely willing to wait for him to come around. And he really worries me that, um, you know, if, if he isn't absolutely elite as a rim protector, that he's just another one of these replaceable level centers in the league. Yeah, I have that concern too, but I think that speaks to, um, the greater conversation that we should have about uh, drafting a center. Um, and, and so far we've covered uh, four of them. Um, I think Usman Gruba is a bit of a, an asterisk here because um, he's only being asked to or expected to play center on one end of the court in a, an optimized role. Um, but it's the same thing with... Uh, Kai Jones uh, on both ends of the court. Um, it's the same kind of thing with Alperin Sengun. Like, mm-hmm. if his offense isn't truly elite, uh, how is he going to provide value? Uh, and it's certainly the case for Isaiah Jackson, uh, who I think is the most specialized of the dudes we're talking about. Like, he's got a clear avenue towards some offensive success by just becoming a pick and roll big, but. Like you said, that's not an absolute guaranteed skill translation because that takes timing, that takes, um, uh, you know, good um, hands to catch the ball. It takes a ton of repetition with your point guard. Um, like you don't have to look very far in Sacramento's history to find a dude who should have been an elite pick and roll. They did not become good as one. Um, so it's not a guaranteed translation. So. I think this just speaks to our greater question, Mark. 
about drafting uh, a center in this range. So I'm just going to ask you bluntly: Are any of the centers we're going to talk we've talked about in the last few weeks going to be close to nine on your big board? I think Shengun is easily the closest. I, I still wouldn't want him at nine. Like he's just, I mean, I, I really keep having to shake my what feels like bias against Shengun because it's just not the type of player I like. You know, like there's these Sabonis comps, Vucevic, whatever. I kind of get those, right? I don't love those, even those players on the Kings. Like, obviously, I'll take talent. The Kings need talent. I just mm-hmm. admittedly do not like that player type, right? A big man that is offensive oriented. I love offensive hubs, obviously. Um, but just like, uh, I think I'm lower on his defense than m- most people. And that's where you really lose me. Um, but I, I think like, Offense is just what the league revolves around. And I do see a potential offensive hub in Sengun, Shengun, mm-hmm. even if I don't think it's likely. And I think that um, that just what I think is notably higher ceiling is what puts Shengun above these other guys for me. You know, I just got to say, like, I think a lot of what you feel is teachable and worth drafting at the NBA level tells you who you're going to prefer in this conversation. Um, like I said earlier, Vic's always going to find a roster spot for Sengun, um, even if he's kind of disappointing around his draft stock. So I'm, I understand where a whole bunch of Kings fans are coming from, and a whole bunch of them are on the Kings Herald staff, are coming from when they say, if you have a dude who's truly a uh, elite-level offensive uh, prospect, and I don't know that I agree with that was with Sengun, I don't know that I agree that he has a top-nine offensive value, but let's say for the argument that he does like there's some logic behind the idea that you draft for a dude with that kind of skill set and, and, and try and figure out how to put a competent defensive lineup around him. Um, but for me, like I'm going to have Kai Jones higher than now Prince and because I think that he has the best two way potential of this draft class. And if I'm taking, and if I'm reaching for a center, I'm going to want it to be a dude who's going to provide either real solid two way value. I mean, has the potential for solid two way value. And I want it to sound like I think Kai Jones is a lock for that because he's definitely not. Um, and it's going to be a real question mark for me whether I prefer Alperin Sengun or Usman Garuba because I, King's roster fit. This is the one of the worst defensive teams in the league. And I just keep saying this. I hate thinking about having a core that has one true positive defensive prospect yeah. in uh, Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, maybe De'Aaron Fox gets there. Maybe if they drafted Albert and Sengun, he figured it out. But, I mean, if the Kings traded back, Garuba is fa- one of my favorite picks because, Lord, He'd just immediately be the king's one of the king's best three defenders, and the best defensive prospect they've drafted since. Uh, oh <laughs> boy, this is a weird comp. I kind of like it though. Uh, Gerald Wallace. Mm. I mean, that's yeah. a long time going, and Wallace didn't hit his defensive ceiling until he was in Charlotte. But I mean, God, the Kings really could just use somebody with his skill set and. Uh, I mean, it's it, it, it's just harder for me to get excited about a Kings roster that has one more, oh, yay, we've got a, a big man who can shoot. We've got a big man who can pass. That's great. That's going to change a lot of the offense. But 
it doesn't change Sacramento's ceiling to me that much. Um, and I'm not sure that Garuba does because, again, there is no underselling how many question marks Garuba has on defense. But on offense, I mean, I mean, on offense, sorry, but like at least you know he is for sure a very high defensive prospect. Um, and of the four guys, I think Isaiah Jackson is going to be last for me. Do you agree with that? How would you rank these four uh, centers we've talked about? I have Jackson lower than Kai Jones on my overall board, but I have them actually as my last two guys of the guys we've covered so far. Mm. Um, and I think I'm, I, I do need to brush up on more Kai Jones to feel comfortable, but I kind of think that the cleanup guy is who I would prefer when you're talking about building around Fox and Halliburton rather than the guy that is more ideal in a switch scheme. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I kind of don't think that you know Fox and Halliburton as your core is a is a setup for you know and a switch heavy defense. Yeah, the Kings definitely need more than just one switchable defender in this draft. Class. They, they need like, they would need three alongside yeah. Fox and Halliburton. Yep, they really would. They'd need to have all other three starters be incredibly solid switch uh, defenders and. Like De'Aaron Fox needs to greatly improve on that end of the court. Um, but we also know that's what the Kings are trying to do right now. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, I want to throw this out there. So 2019, Jackson Hayes goes eight, right? And we say mm-hmm. big stake a little while. Hayes could definitely still, um, I, I think he's definitely had some promising flashes, right? But listen to the guys that go after him. Rui Hachimura goes nine. Cam Reddish goes 10. Cameron Johnson goes 11. PJ Washington goes 12, Tyler Hero goes 13. All wing players and Tyler Hero's a guard, right? That you probably would take over Hayes right now. Um, yeah, I know that there's a lot of really smart NBA Twitter guys who are still very high on Hayes, but you know, it's like we keep talking about. You, even if, if you just project uh, all of those dudes to have their middling outcomes, not even their high ceiling outcomes, like... An average outcome wing is almost always going to be more valuable than an average outcome big man. Yeah. And, you know, go back one more year, 2018. Number six is Mo Bamba. Number seven is Wendell Carter Jr. Mm. Um, eight goes Sexton. Nine goes Knox. Um, Ten, Mikhail Bridges. Eleven, SGA. <laughs> Twelve, Miles Bridges. Thirteen, Jerome Robinson. Fourteen, Michael Porter Jr. That um, is a nasty eight. I mean, a seven, nasty seven to uh, nine range there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and Carter Jr. is showing some flashes. I think that he seemed a little bit more comfortable during his time in Orlando. And I really liked yeah. Carter Jr. But I, I think I do that um, the league is just turning towards wings. And I think that, you know, anytime I have these big men in the same tier as some of these other wings, they're going to be at the bottom of that tier. Yeah, I completely understand that. And, uh, I don't want the Kings to draft any of these bigs that we've talked about at nine. Um, you and I have made it pretty clear that we have a whole bunch of wings in the five to nine range. One of them is going to be available. We would like um, Monty McNair to draft one of them. But if he's going to trade down, these guys make sense in, in at least like some conceptual ways. Um, yeah. Are there any of these dudes like if the Kings, I, I keep talking about this uh, big tier I have after the top nine where it's just like, okay, I see what you're doing here. 
If who, there, who's is the, there any who's the nine that we have different? Do you have I think it's Jalen Johnson, huh? I have Jalen Johnson and okay. I think you have Josh yeah. Giddy at nine. Uh I actually have well, yes, but in a different tier. Like I have Maiden's a top eight. Yeah, okay. Well, you're pretty confident that one of uh Franz Wagner, Moses Moody goes nine, right? Yeah, uh, those are my, yeah that's my we'll seven eight. and yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. clearly those two guys and that's the reason that i'm not like trade down from nine to 16 and 18 because i think yeah. if if you guaranteed me moody and wagner were off the board i still am not sure that i do it but i think it's like a serious conversation at that point mm-hmm. i would get that I, I refuse to believe like i'm pretty much higher on jalen johnson than you i refuse to believe there's just no way that moses moody Franz wagner or jalen johnson is they're all gone at nine because that means then Scotty Barnes fell or Jonathan Kuminga fell, and uh, there you go. There's your combo forward. Um, but let's just say that um, Moses Moody and Franz Wagner went uh, seven and eight. Uh, by the way, it was hilarious to hear Mav's draft just articulate my deepest nightmare of Moses Moody going eight yeah. uh, to the magic. Just broke my heart. Um, and then... Uh, Let's pretend that McNair trades back. Are you going to be disappointed if any of these bigs are added on the roster? No, I think I actually would be pretty excited. I mean, it depends who else is there, obviously. But, I mean, I think, like, if you're telling me that you were able to trade nine for Zaire Williams and one of these big oh. men that's not Shengun. And Zaire like seems like a stretch to fall, but it also seems very possible, right? Oh no, he definitely could fall. Like you could tell me that anybody in this range of Jalen Johnson, Zaire Williams, uh Jaden Springer. It's it kind of seems like even moody. Like I'd be shocked, but with the oh. way that some of these mocks have played out. These mocks are just breaking my spirit, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's it. This is such a big, fluid tier that the Kings are going to be drafting around. That um, there's not really going to be a draft day outcome that just truly shocks me. Like maybe Isaiah Jackson at nine would truly shock me. Oh God, um, yeah, it would. I think he's like the first pick there that I'm just like, all right, I don't get it. Yeah, I think um, that um, he's falling, but Keon might be my guy there. Yeah, I get it. Um, but there are just so many dudes who, like Davion Mitchell's probably going to get drafted before the Kings. James Booknight is probably going to get drafted before the Kings. One of the wings is going to fall to the Kings. It just is really going to be interesting to see which one and uh, if Monty McNair agrees with us um, or if he identifies, uh, well, Rashawn Holmes is probably gone this season and uh, I need a big man. So. If, it's going to be interesting we talking, to see where his priorities lie. If we were talking 14 and 16, I feel like this would be so much easier. Yeah. Oh, then, heck, Zaire Williams and uh, one of the centers? Heck, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's interesting. I think that there's going to be these these four big men that we've touched on. Um, and potentially, I, I think De'Ron Sharp kind of seems like another potential first-rounder. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, like, kind of out of centers in this draft really <laughs> yeah and uh as we all know centers really do have the biggest uh draft range yeah um i mean so where did azabuki went to like the jazz last year right yeah he went even to the then, jazz in the early 30s that just made no sense 
No, I thought or he was like the first round. Yeah, 27. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 27. Yeah. That Big. was the, yeah, that one was insane. Bigs just have such a, a wide range. By the way, if truly uh, eyes a beholder. Totally. And if uh, you want my super reactionary way too early, Jalen Smith was 10. Devin Vassell was 11. Tyrese Halliburton, 12. <laughs> so just saying. And the Suns are going to win the title. Yeah, but, you know, it, we can say they should have drafted Halliburton. So we can yes, hold on to that, I guess. They Halliburton really should be a champion right now. Oh, God. Just imagine how much more depressing our lives would be. Oh, God. Well, uh, actually. We might be talking about a top five pick. <laughs> Well, yes, but also if uh, Tyrese Halliburton had gone 10 and uh, Devin Vassell had gone 11, the Kings could have just uh, almost done as good by uh, drafting a different Tyrese. This is true. Go, this is true. Or we could go a podcast could, without talking about Maxi. Or we could go poker, you know, but uh, <laughs> for the, for that's the a, ultimate that's will a, experience. Yeah. Oh, by the yeah. way, um, I this is random and we'll get out of here real quick because I know that we want to catch the end of this finals game. Um, I'm like out on the idea of trading Barnes at this point. I, I just to randomly throw this out what? there. Um, and it's, what? it's not, I mean, unless you're getting like serious value, but I think that part of why I was so in on it at the deadline was because this was the last year you could tank. Right. And I think at this point, like you're trying to win. Um, even if I don't think that that's like necessarily the path you should go, like that seems like that's what they're doing. And at this point, it's like, I don't know if next year you can get to the deadline and move homes for a first. I'm not going to sit here and say that I will be disappointed if they trade if they don't trade uh, Harrison Barnes because Lord knows he's one of the more professional like fun dudes to cheer for. But he's also to me the contract that the Kings can move that would return the most immediate value. Um, well, so- I, I think like for the right guy, you know, I, I think that like in a Miles Turner deal, I've thrown that out there. You know, if you want to say Sockham, Siakam, Simmons, whatever, right? But I think that if you were talking about just clearing him for like draft capital, mm-hmm. you know, um, is just not as intriguing to me as it was at the deadline when a lot of my logic behind that was, yes, I would love another pick. I wish they had pick 16 from Boston. Right. Um, and the idea was that this pick nine would actually be pick four or five, you know, um, like I, I think Barnes's prototype is just really valuable in the league. And I don't think you can have too many wings on your roster and Sacramento certainly does not have anywhere near too many wings on their roster. Um, so I, I've just, you know, I, I think that's something that I felt like the timing was really good last uh, deadline. And at this point, if you're trying to win, I think that Barnes is a guy you want on your roster. Yeah, he does make sense if you're just full steam ahead for the playoffs, which they are. Yeah. Um, but if it comes down to nobody wants to take Marvin Bagley, even for pennies on the dollar, um, nobody's going to provide any value for Buddy Hield. So your options are either Rashawn Holmes walks or you trade Harrison Barnes for co- some cap space uh, and like say uh, late uh, late teens first. Yeah. You do that? I, I think at that point, I mean, it's just the most ideal asset management. So yeah. you're, you're kind of, because of your decision at the deadline, I think you do do that, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, we definitely have no idea what Harrison Barnes' actual value is. No. He's a trade candidate, so. Yeah, like, I, I don't uh, know, like, is 19 to New York a thing, right? I, I, I don't know. Like, they need mm-hmm. wing defenders and spacing. Is that, I don't know. Just randomly throwing that out there. New York should just trade 19 for Buddy Heald. I mean, I want, sure. I want <laughs> I Buddy Heald in Tom Thibodeau's 
uh, on Tim Thibodeau's defense. Uh, you know I what just I was, want that a thing. You know what I was thinking of earlier today is be the last thing is this, so this Bagley podcast came out right of him talking about uh he talked about the light tweet for a second. He talked yeah. about a bunch of other things, and he was like, "I like the tweet after walk, watching Trey go for fifty in the playoffs, and and they were winning. And as a competitor, it just made me want to get to that." And he talks about you know it's my Twitter, I can do whatever I want, and it's just like. There was such a like, I want to get to that level when I feel like it should be, I want to bring this team to that level. Like, I want to be contributing enough that they are that good. Um, and instead, it was just like, I want to be on a roster that that's that that's that is that good. Um, so that was obviously frustrating. But it, what was funny to me, I was just like, I can't imagine this guy alongside Thibodeau or imagine him being a teammate to Jimmy Butler. Like, holy crap. <laughs> Uh, it, you know, I, I said a couple of podcasts ago, I don't care what Marvin Bagley tweets. I don't care what he says. They need to trade him anyway. Dude, you cannot just sit there and tell, tell us that uh, you took everything off because you took everything off your social media because uh, Trey had 50. Like, that's just right. totally ignoring your own personal responsibility for your improvement. Yeah. Just boggles my mind. Yeah. Anyways, we are definitely going to keep up these draft profiles going. I think we only have 20 some odd days until the draft. Um, and we're definitely going to fit in as many profiles as possible. We'll have guests on, we'll have a mock draft, we'll update our big board and everything. But in the meantime, we are going to go watch 2018 number one pick DeAndre Ayton and <laughs> Mikhail Bridges, of course. Um, and the Moses Moody prototype, Chris Middleton, in the finals. So that's, let's go do this. Let's do it. That's going to do it for this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast. Um, definitely check out all the great work going out of the Kings Herald. I think that uh, my Josh Giddy profile is out. I think you're supposed to have a Zaire one out here in not too long, right? Right it right now. There we go. And a lot of great work and conversations going on there all the time. So take a peek at that at the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. You'll hear from us again in the next couple of days.